You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello again. Welcome back to uh, another edition of the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated Podcast. I am Matt Minnick and as always joined by Michael Rogner. And once again, Michael, we are coming here to record after a pair of wins. Uh, I feel like this is becoming a, a habit uh, and that's because Florida State's won, what, eight out of the last nine, nine out of the last ten maybe games. Um, so, but another another two two wins on the board this time against uh, Pittsburgh on the road, which is, you know, maybe something we can talk about as a rarity. And then Miami on the road, which is not, uh, has not been a rarity lately. Yeah, this is starting to feel a little bit like last year, you know, where it's, we struggled a little bit early going in the season and then it just got rolling. And it seems like every time we talked, it was, you know, after, after beating somebody. You know, and hopefully, hopefully this season ends with an actual tournament, so we we can we can talk about the the really fun wins. Yeah, you know, maybe we should go back. I I feel like since we started the podcast in December ish of twenty nineteen, or maybe November of twenty nineteen. I don't know. Um, we're we're coming up here, clo- closing in on our fortieth episode. Uh, since we started the podcast, Florida State's basketball record has to be uh, pretty pretty impressed maybe the the best 40 game stretch ever so yeah, yeah it's like I, I guess, 30 32 yeah, and five or 32 and six or something yeah yeah you know right. Seminole nation right. uh you know you're welcome <laughs> all right so, what, what can we say uh no but um yeah so the so florida state went up to pittsburgh uh so coming off the huge thrashing against UVA, which was um, wonderful. 
um, and exciting. We talked about that. We previewed the Pittsburgh game saying that I think we both predicted a win. And, and actually, I feel like yours was pretty close to being uh, spot on. So kudos there. But um, both of us saying, you know, this felt like a, a game that if they could just execute what they needed to execute and keep Pitt, you know, from just going crazy on the foul line uh, that, you know, Florida State should be able to win. And, and Florida State basically went up and took care of business. Yeah, this game kind of showed, you know, where Florida State is offensively. Like we did, we did not shoot well against Pitt. We only made four 14 threes, but we were just so efficient, you know, outside of that, that, you know, Pitt, you know, Pitt scored 72 and I think a 71 possession game, which is pretty solid for them. And, but it was just, you know, our, our offense was simply just too much, um, you know, and, and if we continue to play at that, at that level, you know, it makes it really hard for sort of the mediocre teams like, you know, Pitt and, and I don't know who else would be in there, but, but, you know, for those the teams NC to be able State. to match up, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a tough matchup with Florida State when, you know, you're facing a top 10 offense. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. They, uh, Florida State really manufactured, I feel like, points pretty well. They, it's, there wasn't that one guy who went off. I mean, I guess Wyatt was two of four from three in six mm-hmm. minutes or not six minutes, 13 minutes. Sorry. Um, I was looking at the first half, but, so that's nice. Um, but you know, yeah, they really, they really had to manufacture them. Uh, Raekwon Evans actually, uh, was able to, to I, just break people down off the, off the dribble, get into the paint a lot. Uh, he had a nice, nice day getting to the free throw line and, and the team didn't turn the ball over, which was something I think that caught my eye. They, they only about a 15% turnover rate, which, which is live, you know, that's that rate where it's like, okay, we had some turnovers trying to make something happen, maybe trying to make a play or, you know, be aggressive to the hoop, uh, caught a charge, but not so many turnovers that you're actually now, you know, preventing yourself from running your offense. Yeah. And, and we've talked about it in, in previous pods, you know, the, the difference in a lot of these games is just kind of how well our bench plays. And when, when we get production from our bench, then it's, you know, pretty much lights out for everybody. And, you know, against Pitt, um, you know, we, we scored, you know, 30 something points off the bench, which is certainly not anything like we scored against Miami. Um, but you know, a, n- a number of good guys came in and put in valuable minutes and, you know, Sadar Calhoun and Balsa and Scotty and polite, you know, that they all, they all played valuable, valuable minutes, which, you know, when we're talking about Florida state's depth, you know, if they're, if they're really going like 11 deep, then yeah, they're going to be an awfully difficult out. Yeah. And the defense too, I, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't know that the defense played extremely well, but um, it was, so we talked a lot about Justin Champagne going into the game and, and he, I mean, he, for all intents and purposes, he, he could be the ACC player of the year. Uh, we'll see what happens if Pitt slides here and finishes, you know, in the bottom three or four of the conference that, that, that might put a squash on that. But um you know, it's interesting. So Champagne was the Ken Palm MVP, which, uh, you know, doesn't is, is a little uncommon for a losing team to have the Ken Palm MVP, although Miami also had it the next game. Uh, and he, he did score 21 points, which was the most points scored by any player in the game. But, you know, it came on 17 shots. Uh, so, you know, while he had 21 and 10 across 40 minutes, I feel like that's a good enough job on a guy who is first team all ACC. 
Yeah, and if you look at at his game, um, he played all forty minutes. You know, which which as a coach, that's a tough thing to ask somebody to do, especially when when nobody at on Florida State even played thirty minutes. And you know, Pitt made their little run with with you know twelve minutes or so left in the second half, and I think they cut it to four, and then. You know, Florida State was just, you know, never let them get over the hump. And a lot of it is probably because, you know, Champagne was a little tired. Um, he, he, you know, he took 17 shots and only made seven. So he scored some points, you know, but a lot of that came at the free throw line. And, and you know, he got a double-double, but he does he does that every night. Right. And then the, the, the other guys, you know, they had, they had like three other guys that all played 32 to 36 minutes, which is, which is pretty rough against Florida State. Yeah. And you kind of hit the, I mean, we've talked about it on the pod before and you know, you're right in the second half Pitt cut it to maybe four, even at one point, but they definitely cut it to five or six a few times and they just never got, you know, the lead. And, you know, we talked about it against uh, who, gosh, who was it? Maybe wake forest. But if, if you're going to make a comeback, you've got to take that lead. You, you know, it's, it's, if, if you only just keep getting close and then the team kind of, you know, the team you're chasing extends it a little bit uh, you're just going to run out of energy because it takes a lot of energy just to get back to the tied game. And then if you don't ever take that lead and actually make the other team think, wow, we can lose the game. It, it just, you know, it, eventually you run out of energy, run out of gas. Yeah, it's just that psychological thing. If you're, you know, if you're shooting alone in a gym and you're, you're kind of hitting threes, but you're back rimming most of them, you're really close, you know, but you just kind of lose your confidence. And, and I think at some point, if you, if you don't take the lead, then, you know, you, you just, you're kind of feeling like you got a loss coming. Yeah. I mean, not, I guess, a, not a very profound statement to say that if you don't take the lead, you're going to lose the game, but uh, more, more to the point of if you never, if there's eight minutes to go, six minutes to go, and you just can't get over that hump, uh, you know, I, I usually more often than not, we see, especially a deep team like Florida state pull away in the last three to four minutes. Um, yeah. so maybe moving on to Miami, uh, which for the second time playing Miami this year just was not, I mean, the game was over. I think Josh pick in the Slack channel said like the game was over by the second media timeout. I mean, it was at that point, it was clear that it was going to be a name your score kind of game for Florida state. Yeah. We went on a 25 to four run, you know, like a couple minutes into the game and, and that was pretty much it. And if you, if you look at the minute distribution, you know, there are a lot of guys getting more minutes than they're used to. And, 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 you know, the starters not getting as many minutes as they're used to. So, we could have beaten Miami by, you know, whatever we felt like. And, and it was, it was, it was pretty much a scrimmage for the last 30 minutes of the game. Yeah. And a scrimmage that unfortunately saw, you know, Malik Osborne get hurt that that might be the biggest news of all coming from the Miami game. I don't, I don't know how much to take away from the actual play. Although I will say that every game, it looks like Sadar Calhoun is getting a little bit more comfortable. And, and, you know, he's a guy that, you know, in the beginning of this year, we even debated, you know, will Scotty Barnes or Sadar Calhoun over their entire Florida state career have a larger impact at FSU. Uh, if Calhoun comes back next year and maybe takes that second year leap, um, you know, that could actually be a legit debate. Um, but every game he starts to get a little more, uh, comfortable and it was great to see him have that first half where he was really just you know efficient uh five for six from the floor i think active on defense 
not, not necessarily always in the right place, but active on defense, uh, getting teammates involved, moving without the basketball. He had a really nice uh, kind of pass and relocation that Scotty then got it back to him for a deep three. Uh, if, if you watch the Golden State Warriors, which we have talked about on this podcast before of how, you know, that's a team that given Luke Lauk's, uh position there and just some of the relationships uh, the staff has, like Golden State is a team that we've sort of uh, tried to bring some of their traits into our offense and and pass and relocate uh, for a three is, is definitely a staple of the Golden State offense. Um, so it was good to see Calhoun doing that. But other than that, I felt like maybe the biggest takeaway is like, what's the status of Malik Osborne? Yeah. And it, you know, looking at it on film, it, it didn't look that bad. So I'm, I'm hoping, and, and Ham didn't really say much in the post game besides, you know, he turned his ankle. So I'm hoping that he's ready for North Carolina, but you know, Ham is, is so cautious you know, mm-hmm. with injuries that if, if Malik is banged up at all, he's not going to play him. And, and, you know, at it with his size, you know, six nine, two twenty five, you know, we really need that against North Carolina. So, so hopefully he'll be, you know, fired up and, and ready to go and, and healthy. And you know, the same goes for for MJ Walker. You know, he he sat out Miami because we knew that he could we could win without him. And hopefully that means that he is physically, you know, ready for North North Carolina. Yeah, it's. I mean, you're spot on. Uh, Hamilton is. He, he's extremely conservative with the two foul participation in the first half. And he's extremely conservative, uh, you know, bringing guys back before they're ready from injury. And, and Hey, look, we're coming, you want to win in March. So today's February 25th. Uh, you know, I'd much rather have Malik Osborne healthy for the first round of the NCAA tournament uh, than I care about him being healthy for, for a road game at UNC. But I think when we get later in the podcast to the UNC preview, I think it's a pretty valuable point in terms of, yeah, going to play a team that has legitimate bigs like Dayron Sharp, um, you know, that having Malik Osborne available would certainly make that game easier. Uh, whether it's a win or loss without him, I don't know. Maybe we can talk more about that later. Um, anything else from the Miami game that feels noteworthy to you i mean raekwon gray can kind of continues his um I, I don't know like he's just turned into a double double machine i feel like yeah 13 boards 12 points i mean he is just the hell of a basketball player right now and six assists he uh, it's you know a, a month ago we weren't really talking about the the chances of raekwon gay this being his last year but now that's a, a legit conversation is just the consistency is there which is you know what you want to see from upperclassmen it's not like he's having you know a, a blow-up game every three or four games he's just consistently right there you know this is third double double in the last six games I think and and uh, you know every one of those games he's just been a really solid performer you mentioned you know Sadar Calhoun the light kind of coming on for him and, you know, the same thing has happened with Raekwon Gray at a different level. You know, it's just the, the light has clearly come on and, and he understands what he can do with the ball inside of, you know, say 15 feet. And, he, and he's, he's going out and he's doing it. So kudos to him. Yeah, that's really well said. It, it's, it is like that light has come on. Just the difference of being, you know, Sadar Calhoun's gone from uncomfortable to comfortable in a, college, in a D1 ACC college basketball game. And Raekwon Gray has gone from like, 
a solid player to the best player on the team night in and night out. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to be the best player on, on the, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of, not everybody can do it, you know, and Greg clearly has the mental capacity to, you know, to be able to do it. Well, and I just, I mean, you can just, some of these, like that block he had, I, that's just not a play he could physically make a couple of years ago to run back on D and get up and make a play at the rim. Um, so it, it's been a mental transformation and a physical transformation. Um, you know, that floater that he's added is, is whew, just deadly for a guy, his size. So it, it's been a real, real treat and a pleasure to watch Raekwon Gray selfishly. Uh, I hope we get one more year to watch him, uh, realistically, I don't, I don't know. That feels to me like maybe 50, 50 at best. Um, but we've got we've got the rest of this season to at least enjoy for sure um oh i'll throw out one other thing about this game it's sort of under the radar but both of these both of these wins were on the road and for a team that is you know hoping to not be on the four or five seed line we'll probably talk about that here in a second but um that that's important florida state had only played uh three road games of the season prior to the pit game and that's one of those things that first of all winning on the road literally counts more in the net like you actually get credit for more than one win in the net rankings and the net rankings are a large component of how the committee decides seeds so when you go and beat pit on the road you're given credit for 1.4 of a win uh to the to the record keeping on the net uh, compared to a home win where you're only given credit for 0.6. So it literally counts more. And on top of that, they look at things like the quad one and the quad two records and, and beating pit on the road is, uh, you know, depending on what their ranking is, they're right on that cut line, but it's either quad one or quad two on any given day. Whereas beating pit at home is at best quad two and maybe quad three. So uh, if, if you're into the seating at all, you know, it's not a bad thing that FSU has been going on the road and, and beating teams that they are better than. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, and I'm, I'm glad we're kind of finishing up with some games on the road because we've only played, I think five times away from, from uh, home, you know, people keep harping on Alabama and their resume and why are they ranked so high? And if you, if you look at their schedule, they've played like 12 or 13 times away from home. Um, You know, so it's, it's, it, it means a lot in college basketball to be able to travel and, and pick up wins. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ohio State is a team. You know, maybe this is a good segue. So, actually, I'm going to hold off here uh, just for a second. Um, anything else, then, on the on the Pitt or Miami comfortable wins? I'll just say about Miami, you know, they, the announcers never shut up about their injuries. Um, but. Yeah. You know, everybody has injuries, and in Miami's are probably worse than most. But you know, whatever, the 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 Canes are about to have their third straight losing season. You know, Larinaga has been there ten years, and now they're about to have their third straight losing season. Florida State hasn't had a losing season in like sixteen years, um, so you just you kind of gotta wonder if if uh, I, yeah, I doubt it would happen in a COVID year. But you know, Larinaga has got to figure out what's going on at Miami. They're they're just sort of a, a mess of a program right now. His roster management has been pretty poor. A lot of transfers. Um, a lot of guys that honestly maybe weren't a great fit for each other to play well together. Um, and I, I don't know. Frankly, though, I, if it's up, you know, if I had my wishes come true, Mike White and Larinaga would would coach at UF and 
UM respectively for the next for 10 more years. So you know, I I'll take I'll take Hamilton beating up on those two any day. Um all right. We are gonna do a segment here where so fo- Michael reached out on on Twitter and asked for some questions, uh some comments. We also had some questions uh at Tomahawk Nation in the in the comments section. So we are going to answer some of those, a little mailbag action here. Uh we'll take a, a one-week pause from the and one segment. Um and I think Michael, these are this is really a true smattering here, but um, and you know we can some of them might require more in depth answers than others, uh, and we can both take them as they come. I'll I'll start off with perhaps an easy one, and let me say ahead of time, I I would like to read names out so people can feel like they had their question answered. Um, if I mess up the pronunciation of your name. I apologize. You can uh, you can come onto the comments at TN and, and correct me, please. And next time I'll get it wrong. But uh, uh, Rishi Malhotra asks, uh, if we win out, are we most likely a two seed or is a one seed possible? And and I should say that a number of folks were asking about this question. So like, what is sort of the ceiling for our NCAA tournament seed? Um I'll let you start. And then I think that kind of goes back into the, what we were talking about with the net and the, maybe the road games and stuff. Yeah. It feels, it feels like three of the one seeds are locked up Gonzaga Baylor and Michigan. The fourth one is, is up for, up for debate at this point. And we could get there by winning out, but it would require some teams in front of us to, to, you know, not do this. If we went out and Villanova wins out, you know, Villanova is going to get that number one seed. Um, you could probably say the same thing for for Houston and and like Ohio State maybe, uh, so we could get there, but it's it's extremely unlikely. Yeah, I think, I think I agree. Um, maybe our maybe our def. I don't know what your definition of extremely unlikely is. I, I'd put it in maybe the uh, I don't know fifteen percent category, which I, I guess that could be extremely unlikely. I agree that. I agree that Gonzaga and Baylor are, I mean, they're locked in, they're one seeds and Michigan probably is a one seed. I I guess there's a world where Michigan could lose like three out of their last four or five. And I don't know, maybe drop, but I I think realistically they're a one seed the rest, you know, this goes back to what we're talking about net. So look at Ohio state, Ohio state is nine and four in quad one games as of right now. Now, you know, net and quad one wins and stuff like that are all fluid. They, they change every single day as the rankings change, but they have nine quad one wins. Uh, Florida State only has eight quad one and two wins together. Now, part of that's because Florida State's only played 17 games and Ohio State has played uh, 23. But, I mean, at some point, you you only have your resume to bring to the table. So Ohio State right now just has – you know, more heft in their resume than Florida state. Um, you know, Illinois probably has more heft in their resume, despite being 16 and six, they're seven and five in quad one games and four and one in quad two uh, games. You know, you mentioned Villanova surprisingly, they're only two and one uh, in the quad one part of that is because like Florida state, they've only played, you know, 18, they've played less than 20 games. So maybe, you know, if you put us together heads up with each other, yeah, maybe if they lose one more, you could make an argument for us. Uh, same for maybe Houston, who who is only two and one in quad and only quad one and four and one in quad two. 
again, playing in, in not a mid-major conference, but not one of the top four conferences of the AAC. But all that is to say, I think, yeah, if we went out, I think two seed probably feels right. Uh, all right. So we've got another, so maybe sticking with the top teams themes, there were, there were several people we will say, uh, so Michael Collins asked, how does FSU match up with Gonzaga or Baylor if they ended up playing in the tournament and, and other people asked similar questions around like what, you know, against these top teams, let's call it Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, uh, Ohio state, Alabama, how does Florida state in your eyes match up? Well, I, I think there's there's probably four teams that we want to avoid, and that would be Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, and Iowa. Um, Gonzaga and Baylor are just on another level. I mean, they're they are elite on both ends of the floor, and so even you know e- even if we're playing well, it's like they're going to score a ton of points against our defense, which is not that good, and we would just have to have absolutely everything go right to beat them. Uh, Michigan and Iowa, I'm mostly concerned about their bigs. You know, both of them have, you know, probably two of the most skilled bigs in in the country. Um, And if we're, you know, the the defense that we want to play, we want to be switching one through five. And and if we're switching, you know, uh, MJ Walker onto Hunter Dickinson of Michigan, you know, that's a problem. You know, we, we have the potential to just get abused and would have to, uh, you know, really think about the way that we play defense and probably play it a little bit differently than we've been practicing all year, uh, you know, which is, which is never a good thing. Is it weird that I'd maybe rather play Gonzaga than, than Michigan? Uh, Hunter Dickinson. I mean, geez, can we just dream for a moment? We were Michigan and Florida state were his top two. It was down to us in Michigan. If that guy came here, I can't even imagine. uh, (laughs) I mean, we'd have him and Bolsa and, and Gray and, and Osborne and Scotty. I mean, the length would just be unbelievable. But I, is it, yeah, is it weird that I'd rather say, well, I feel like maybe we can be physical with Gonzaga and, and create a switching defense with length that puts pressure on a freshman Jalen Suggs at point guard, um, even though he's been great and might be the number one pick in the draft, than, than facing a, a team like Michigan and Hunter Dickinson? Yeah, I, th- I think if you look at Gonzaga and Baylor, like they've been elite since the season began. Michigan, you know, is is not that way. You know, they they didn't really play anybody in out of conference. They went, they had to go to overtime to beat Oakland. You know, they were they were kind of struggling heading into Big Ten play, and now they're just, you know, they're they're just beating the pants off everybody they play. I think, you know, they've won what 12, 12 out of thirteen Big Ten games, which is not an easy conference to be playing in. And they are just just uh, playing at a super high level, and it's primarily because they got all this talent surrounding um, Hunter Dickinson, who's um, if you're not if you're not familiar with him, he's like a 20 year old freshman. I don't know how how they get that old, but you know he's he's a he's a he's a grown man, even though he's a freshman, and he he is very quickly moving up the the ranks of sort of the national player of the year conversation. So yeah, I, I would agree with you that we want to avoid Michigan. I don't know that. I would agree that we want to avoid them more than Gonzaga. Gonzaga is, uh, I, I think, our our past success against them. You know, maybe maybe tinges the conversation a little bit. You know, but this is this is a much tougher team to bully than the one that we beat in the tournament a couple of years ago. That's that's 
probably fair. Uh, this definitely looks like the best Gonzaga team that Mark Few's ever put on the court. Maybe let's look at the two seeds, the, the other teams that maybe feel like a not a step below the, the, the trio at the top. Uh, the, the Ohio States, the Villanova's, the Alabama. I mean, do you think that if Florida State plays their A game, would the A games of the other teams beat Florida State? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that we would need some help against Villanova. Um, other other than that, I think we're you know we we would beat all those teams if if we beat our beat our bring our A game. Uh, Villanova has just the capability. They shoot so many threes. You know, it's like that no, nobody scores as much from three, three as they do. And if, and if, and if they get hot, it doesn't really matter if we play our A game or not. It's just, you know, a take, taking 43s and making 20 of them, you're going to win the game. Yeah, that's so as I phrased the question, I think you're probably right. If they get, if they play their A or a plus game, I mean, gosh, I guess they could beat anyone in the tournament. Um, let me ask you this then that, if Florida state plays its a game, so let's say, you know, either the UVA game or the, maybe the Louisville game, pick your, pick your poison, or, or maybe even the home game against NC state. Uh, if Florida state plays their a game and the, the top trio of teams plays their B game, they, you know, they just don't have one of their, one of their guys is just off, gets into foul trouble. Can, can Florida state's a game beat the B game of Baylor, Gonzaga, Michigan? I think we can for Baylor, and the reason is that they are the best shooting team in the country. And if they're and if if they're playing their B game, it means that they're not hitting threes at, at probably the rate that they're used to. Um, you know, and that's just that, that's that, that's a big part of their offense. You know, it, it opens up everything that they're trying to do. And if you know guys like Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell and and the the long haired kid Matthew Meyer. You know, if, if they're not hitting threes, then yeah, absolutely. Our, I think our, our, our A game beats their B game. Uh, all right. I, I think I, I think I agree. West Virginia is a team we didn't talk about. And I, I think it's time that we move on to the next question, but they're another one that I don't know, maybe when people ask the question of, Oh, how does FSU stack up against the top teams? Folks better keep an eye on West Virginia because Bob Huggins knows how to get it done uh, in, in March. I, I mean, he doesn't have a title, but he certainly knows how to win games in March. So that would be, that'd be a sneaky one to watch out for too. Uh, there was a question uh, about MJ Walker and just if, if, and when he comes back healthy, would he join the starting lineup? Uh, and, and if so, who he replaced? I, I think we're, we would both agree. Yes. He absolutely rejoins the starting lineup, right? Yeah, he's been a starter since the very beginning of his sophomore year. So he he is clearly comfortable starting games. Okay. And so then who he might replace, uh, I guess, you know, that could de be determined by is Osborne healthy, um, you know, and maybe looking at the matchups. I think uh, it's possible that a polite maybe goes to the bench or uh, a Wyatt. But I, I, do, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought maybe when Polite came back that that he would um, be starting games, but he started he started yesterday because you know MJ wasn't healthy. But but Wyatt has kind of held on to that um, starting spot. And Polite's playing more minutes, you know, so it's it's always key to the conversation when we're talking about starters. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, just, just just because you start doesn't mean you're gonna you're gonna play more than ten minutes. Yeah. 
Um, but you know, I, I see MJ kind of taking Wyatt's spot, you know, that, that corner shooter that, you know, is, is spacing the floor that we're really looking for. Yeah. It's almost like Hamilton has been liking, liking to come out and see if Wyatt's hot. Like, Oh, let me, let me see, mm-hmm. Give, let him take three shots real quick. And if he's making it good, it's a good game. <laughs> and then yeah. if not, he gets the, he gets the yank. Um, all right. Maybe, uh, maybe one more here. There was a good one and I'm trying to find, um, here it is. Uh, J Blake, uh, Seaman, uh, or has Ken Palm tended to slightly underrate FSU over the past few seasons? And does FSU's deep rotation suppress more statistical dominance thoughts here? I don't think so. I mean, the, the rotations is the rotation. It's, it's how we play the game. So we're not, you know, Ken Palm isn't just evaluating your starters. It's evaluating your, your, your entire game. I think, I think if it was underrating Florida state, we would see that reflected in, um, you know, Vegas line betting lines. And it's, it, it's not, you know, it's still what, whatever Ken Palm has is, is usually within a half point of, of the Vegas line. And we, we would see some difference. I think, I think where Ken Palm needs some tweaking is it overrates teams that play really slow. I, I that's a, your last point I think is a good one. And, uh, and we, I think we've talked about that before with UVA and, and uh, others, uh, you know, Notre Dame with, when they had some of their uh, slow burn offenses, but to the question that was asked, I, I don't know. I think I might, I might zig where you zag, I, you know, I, your point about the, the Vegas ratings is good. I think there's a different way to answer this question. Is it underrating how many points we're actually going to win the game by? I don't think so. I, I think that is probably accurate, and, and the Vegas lines would bear that out. And, and that is because the depth is the way we play. The depth, the depth is, is part of our strategy. Is it underrating the actual ability of our team in a one game setting, I I think maybe, I I think, so Florida state definitely plays. So we're 20th in the country in bench minutes, which as an aside has significantly increased from earlier in the year when we were a little bit concerned about the amount of minutes that our starters were playing. Um, So 20th in the country in bench minutes. And, and more than that, with FSU shooting the way they've been shooting, particularly at home, they've jumped out to such big leads. Um, 20 points last night against Miami. Uh, the, several, the NC State and Clemson home games were, or, or Georgia Tech, you know, these massive 20, 25 point leads that I feel like because we rely on depth as a strategy, uh, there is there's even more liberal substitution in those big games. And you see these second halves where the score could have been, if we were a team that just only played seven games, seven guys, no matter what, or eight guys, no matter what, probably we win by 35. We don't, we play 12. So I think where I'm going with it is I think Ken Palm accurately predicts that we might win a game by 16 because we're going to play more guys and the score kind of comes back to what it would be. But does that then holistically just slightly underrank us, underrate us for how, what's our ceiling, maybe? What is the top ceiling of a one-game performance in which our top eight guys played 33 to 34 minutes? Yeah, it'd be interesting to, to pose that question to him if you could ever get a realistic answer out of him. Um, you know, is, is he coaching 
with the regular season in mind in a different way that he'll be coaching, you know, in the postseason when it, when it's winter or, or, or go home. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting question. And I, th- I think that we could probably, um, you know, talk for an hour about how the sausage is made, you know, but, but at some point you just got to kind of, kind of have an, kind of got to have an answer. And I, I think that that will split the difference on this one. Fair enough. All right. One final question, and then we'll go to a quick break. Uh, this one comes from Aaron at FSU Aaron 80, uh, at Aaron FSU 85. What is the ideal coaching path for FSU? Uh, oh, so referencing when Hamilton's retiring, should we target someone internally or externally? Um, who can say, I mean, I, this is, this is one of those things that every time a coach gets hired, everybody who covers basketball has a very strong opinion about whether or not it's a good hire or not. And then, you know, three years later, everybody's kind of forgotten what those opinions were. You know, people, people thought that, you know, Willie was, was great hire for the football team and turns out maybe not. Um, but in, in, from my perspective, I think that what coach ham has been able to, to cover up, you know, to bury the bones in the backyard is the fact that Florida state is getting boat raced by a lot of teams when it comes to spending. Um, and so, if we were to go out and target some, you know, hot young coach, I don't think that we could keep him here if they were very successful. You know, if, if, if there were bigger programs that wanted him, it would, it would, be, it would become a stepping stone job. So I'm, I'm almost looking for a coach with a similar uh, resume to like Ham or even Jim Larnaga, where they're looking for a place to kind of finish their career. <laughs> Um, you know, and if, and if all goes well, they're going to, they're going to be here 10 or 12 years and, and then, you know, sail off into the sunset. And, you know, we are seeing the same thing with Hamilton, except that he's going to be here 20 plus years, uh, you know, but, but, uh, you know, my targeting young guys, I think, I think is, is going to be a mistake for this program. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would, I certainly wouldn't want to target the hot young coach that has no real connection to Florida state. Um, and yeah, Hamilton 20 plus, I mean, when it was 2010, I thought, well, surely by 20, you know, 16 or 17 Hamilton, uh, will, will have, you know, called it a career, a wonderful career and, and rode off into the sunset. And here we are at 2021 and, and he, I mean, looks like he could at least go another five years. So, you know, this question may be, uh, the answer to this question may be radically different by the time Hamilton actually hangs it up uh, in, in another decade or two. Um, but the, I, I think Dennis Gates is an interesting name uh, because he, first of all, great job by him up at, uh, was it Cleveland State? I mean, he, he has really, in just two years or so, turned around the program and, and has to be the shoe-in for the coach of the year in his conference. Um, but you know, he's someone who gets it in Tallahassee. He understands what kind of administration and, you know, revenue sources he'd be looking at. He understands the talent base that's in sort of the Atlanta, uh, South Florida, Mount Verde uh, area. And I wonder if his experience here would lend him to want to stay here more and not have it be a straight up stepping stone job. Um, so that, that sort of blends that like internal external combo. Uh, other than that though, I really would say that I, I would just want someone who has head coaching experience. I, we've seen at, at a, 
at a, at a, I mean, even with Dennis Gates, I'd want him to coach somewhere a little bit higher than Cleveland state. We've just seen so many guys come into the ACC who, you know, looked like they were doing great things at any, you, you, you name the mid-major program and the ACC just spits them up and chews them out. Uh, and, and whereas Hamilton, uh, you know, he had coached in the big East before he had coached in the big eight before as a head coach. Uh, so he was very familiar with what it meant to, to build a winning program in a, in a power conference. And, and I think when you're competing against Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, Louisville, Virginia, uh, Notre Dame, uh, Georgia tech, y- you better, you better have more experience than just, you know, coaching in the Sun Belt. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you say about Dennis Gates and, and yeah, he has done a fantastic job you know, winning the Horizon League regular season this year. So good for him. Um, I think that the one other thing that I would look for is, is uh, you know, something either offensively or defensively that is different from what everybody else does. You know, our, our defense, you know, fronting the post, playing 94 feet of pressure, uh, you know, forcing teams to initiate their offense so far from the basket, switching everything. You know, it, it's a hard thing to prepare for on short notice because it's it's not like everybody else's defense. And so I, I would want to see a coach coming into Florida State that is that is difficult to prepare for, you know, when you've only got a two-day turnaround. Yeah, I, I would hope that we actually keep that defense. I, I really like uh, forcing teams to to – do play in a way that messes them up from their rhythm. Like don't just let a team come down and just get into their offense and run their sets. Um, I'll throw a name out there that I wouldn't want. Just, I don't know, Andy infield, no, no offense to the guy, but I USC actually seems pretty good this year. They, they should be. They're one of the top 10 talented teams in the country this year. They have the guy who, who also could, you know, I mentioned Jalen Suggs, but Evan Mobley could legit be the number one pick in the NBA draft. Um, I, I don't, I just don't, they, they seem soft. They up until this, they really don't seem to be that interested in playing, uh, defense a lot of times. I don't know. I, I would, I would say I'd pass on him, but I am not the, uh, I'm certainly not going to be the person that's in position making the decision. All right. Why don't we go to a, a quick commercial break and come back with a preview of, of Florida state's. Uh, third consecutive road game uh, going up to Chapel Hill to face the Tar Heels. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we are are back. So uh, if if you missed, we just did a mailbag segment that was pretty fun. We'll have to do that again, maybe uh, a few podcasts from now, but that was that was good, um, good stuff. And we are now going to transition into, into the, uh, next game on the season, which is, is traveling to Chapel Hill, uh, on Saturday, uh, for a road game against North Carolina Tar Heels. It's a North Carolina team, Michael, that honestly was looking pretty good. They had, uh, 
they had beaten Duke, uh, which which I know laugh, but Duke Duke has actually been playing better uh, of the last few few weeks. Um, they they lost to Virginia on the road, but a lot of teams lose Virginia in Charlottesville, and they beat uh, you know a bad Northeastern team and then smashed Louisville as Louisville was coming out of their COVID pause. Uh, and, and then they added a quick game to the schedule. They, you know, they had a game canceled that they were surely going to beat uh, BC. And they added Marquette at the last note, uh, minute at home and, and got beat by double digits by kind of a mediocre Marquette team. Yeah, that was dumb. That was a dumb game to schedule. They, I mean, kudos to them for trying to find an extra game, but you do not schedule a quad three team that, that's that's capable of beating you, you know, which is exactly what they did. And now, now they have a home loss, you know, a quad three loss and they're, and they're already, you know, kind of, they're, they're on the right side of the bubble for now, but, but if they, you know, if they finish the season slowly, you know, that game could end up costing them, you know, a trip to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it, it very well could. And, and now it also, you know, Ham even said today, or maybe it was yesterday, but, Oh, you know, now we're going to be going to face an angry, uh, North Carolina team. I, you know, I don't know if they're angry or not, but I, I will definitely say that, you know, they understand, I think the moment that it is where you have a top 10 team, top 11 team coming into your house. And it's really, you know, one of your last chances of the year to get that victory that might put you back on the right side of the bubble. Yeah, and it, it, I, I kind of agree with that a little bit. I mean, but if 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 you're relying on that, if you if you need that to get up for you know have hosting Florida State, you know, it's 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 probably a sign of a of a bigger problem. I would I would expect North Carolina to be prepared, you know, either way. I, I given their performances last year, where they finished <laughs> last in the entire conference, uh, maybe that is a sign of bigger trouble. Maybe maybe it is a sign that hey, that the fact that North Carolina needs to be backed into a corner um, with with their NCAA tournament hopes, you know, kind of on the line against against the number one team in the conference coming into their building, maybe that's a sign that Roy Williams has um, you know lost a little bit of the culture there, but. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we are traveling to North Carolina. They are coming off a loss against uh, Marquette. They will be looking for a win. You know, we, we talked a little bit about if uh, Malik, we'd like to have Malik Osborne in this game. North Carolina is, is the number two offensive rebounding team in the country. They, they really don't do anything else well on offense. Uh, when you, I mean, they're, they're not a good three-point shooting team. They're not a good free-throw shooting team. Uh, in terms of percentage, they they have the ball stolen from them quite a bit. Uh, the freshman point guard has looked like a freshman point guard uh, quite often, but man, they they erase a lot of mistakes by cleaning up the offensive glass. Yeah, and and if you look back at that first game when we, when we beat them by seven. Um, you know they they did a lot of things well in that game that they don't normally do well. Most notably, they they hit a, hit a bunch of threes. You know, and they're not a good shooting team. Um, but we were able to hold them to just thirteen offensive rebounds, and I say just. Um, but for North Carolina, that's actually below their average. You know, they they rebounded thirty eight percent of their own misses, and and you know on the season they're at thirty nine. So the the key to beating them you know is is certainly keeping away those second chance opportunities and and i would be surprised if they can shoot the ball well enough if they're not getting offensive rebounds 
you know, to, to really, uh, you know, handle Florida State. Yeah, and the main guy, the main guy is Dayron Sharp. I, main guy, they've got a triumphant of of big men, but Dayron Sharp is the two hundred and sixty five pound uh, freshman, and that's probably when he skipped breakfast. Um, but you know, he's second in the country at offensive rebounding percentage. He he grabs uh, you know over eighteen percent of the available rebounds, offensive rebounds when he's on the court. That's that's doing some things. So if, if Osborne doesn't play, let's just say that we both agree that Osborne, you know, that Hamilton treats it cautiously and gives him, you know, maybe a week off or, or a week and a half off with, with BC coming up next. Um, what does, I mean, do you try to drop a guy like gray down onto sharp? Uh, do you hope that Balsa can play foul free minutes? Um, I don't know. How do you, how do you, you know, react to that? Yeah, you you got to when the when the shots in the air, you got to have two bodies on him. I mean, he's 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 gonna out rebound anybody that we we just if 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 Gray's trying to box him out, he's you know he's gonna be great for the rebound most you know more often than not. So you have to you have to have a couple of guys on him, which our you know our defense kind of sets up well for that because we're fronting the post anyway. Um, you know, so you've already got one defender there, and then you should have the help side behind him. Um, you know, against Louisville, he had eight offensive rebounds, and that's not even the first time that he's had eight offensive rebounds this year in an ACC game. Yeah, so he, he is, you know, capable of being a game changer and basically winning the game on his own. He's just such a big, you know, powerful guy, you know, even as a freshman. And then, you know, that's that's not even, you know, talking about uh, Baycott or Garrison Brooks who are, who are both pretty good offensive rebounders in their own right. You know, and two more guys that we have to we have to watch out for. It's just this this game is is you know the, the coaches are going to be preaching rebounding, and we'll see how well Florida State is able to execute. Yeah, it really really is an embarrassment of riches for for Roy Williams down underneath. Uh, but guard play has you know, which was long the staple of a North Carolina basketball team. Guard play has has let them down. You mentioned that they're not a good shooting team. I mean, there's one guy that shoots with any volume who's even over, I'm looking here, even over 35%. Now, now, Corwin Walton is 45%. He's 44 for 97 on the year. So, you know, he's the guy that in the scouting report, it, you know, it's going to be locate Kerwin Walton on the perimeter. You cannot let him get an open look. But everybody else, I mean, like I said, they don't even have another guy over 35%. Yeah, he kind of broke out uh, talking about Kerwin Walton. He kind of broke out against Florida State. You know, he he had four for, made four for ten, and you know since then he's just kind of been on a roll. The volume has been going up. Um, you know, he was pretty quiet in the early part of the season. So so finding a shooter for them has, has been a big deal. But you know, it, it's it's tough to to win games in the ACC when you have one shooter. Um, you know, Florida State has been in that position in the past and, and, you know, it didn't really work out well. And, you know, you look at Florida State and we've, we've always got like three 40% shooters on the floor pretty much at all times, you know, and, and they've got one, but so can we find him while also, you know, uh, being in position to, to win the rebounding battles? That's, that's kind of, that's kind of the trick. Uh, defensively, North Carolina has been good, uh, better. They're better defensively than they are offensively. Is, is there, but I, I don't know that there's anything that they do defensively that really makes me feel like if Florida state plays its game, they should be, 
you know, I, I feel like that's more of a, is Florida state executing and, and making the extra pass or maybe not making the extra pass, but making the right pass and shooting when they're actually open. Yeah. And then, you know, we did talked about offensive rebounding for North Carolina, who's the number one team in the ACC, you know, number two in ACC plays Florida state. Um, you know, so we're, we're pretty reliant on offensive rebounding as well. Um, you know, so the, the, that rebounding battle that we were talking about is on both sides of the floor, but you know, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head is that, you know, the, the primary difference between this team is that Florida state's a great shooting team. And, and if we have a great shooting night, you know, then it's lights out for North Carolina. Um, you know, but if we, you know, we've struggled a little bit on the road, are we going to really be able to knock down a bunch of threes? It's, you know, it's, 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 it's tough to say. Yeah, just a little reminder that in the first game, Florida State went 26 of 27 from the free throw line. First of all, great getting the line 27 times and making 96% is obviously always a good thing. And 8 of 16 from the 3. So it, it's not like we didn't shoot well the first time and we won by, again, 7. I, I don't know that either of those are going to be repeatable on the road. Um, maybe 40% from 3. I don't know. 50 seems just kind of a stretch in any game, but I, I don't know that UNC is going to shoot 10 to 24 from three either. So if I had to say, I'm thinking a, a little bit, maybe of a lower scoring game uh, than, than the first one, which was 82 to 75. Although, um, you know, North Carolina does like to push tempo and, and we certainly have no problem playing an up pace game either. But uh, what, what do you think, Michael, do you think, uh, is, is this game going to be a little lower scoring? Um, well, these games are usually fun, you know, which is which is a good thing for college basketball. You know, Florida State, North Carolina, they both they both get up and down the floor. Um, both are trying to slow the other team down defensively. So, you know, I, I, I could see the game being a little lower scoring, but that's going to be reliant on, you know, us not not hitting threes. I, I have a hard time picturing anyone holding Florida State below a point for possession. I mean, I know it's going to happen, but but just the way that we've been so efficient of, of late, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine Florida State not, you know, being somewhere around the 80-point mark in this game. Yeah, fair, fair enough. And I will say that that first game, I think, as I recall now, there were a lot of fouls and stuff. That first game actually only had 70 possessions, which, funny enough, is below the average for UNC. So I, I would expect that number to be closer to 75 in this game. And, and so you could see fewer made threes, but a similar score anyways. Uh, all right. Um, let me put you on the spot then. Give me, uh, let, let's say that Malik is out, but MJ plays, let, just for the sake of things. Um, give me your prediction. Um, I think we're in trouble if, 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 uh, if Osborne does not play and I, and I'll take North Carolina, um, in a close one, like, you know, 79, 77, something like that. I think I'm going to agree. I, I didn't know you were going to, uh, I didn't <laughs> expect you to take UNC, but I, 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 I think there is something to the fact that UNC is playing for their season and, is that a bad thing that it takes that level of, of sort of desperation to motivate a team? Probably doesn't make me want to pick them uh, in March, but I do think that there is something to be said for that. And, and if you remove a guy who plays half, you know, half the game for us uh, down, down low 
and is able to battle and, and be another uh, force against the offensive rebounding machine that is North Carolina, I, I feel like that is not a good recipe. So I will say um, 80 to 76 UNC. Um, but I don't want to end the pod on a, on a sour note. So, you know, the game after UNC, we probably won't do a pod before then, but it's, it's BC at home. BC is not very good. Uh, I, are we going to beat BC? Um, as long if the game is played, yes, we, we, we beat BC. All right. So if, if we do beat UNC, that would mean that we'd be coming home to, for the second year in a row, cut down the nets on an ACC regular season championship uh, against the Boston College Eagles. I would have to imagine I'm with you. We are, we're going to win that game at home. Even if we lose to UNC, that is still a viable option since UVA lost to NC state uh, and they have to go on the road to play Louisville in their final game. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of disappointing to, to, you know, win the regular season against Boston college, but you know, at least whoever's making the banners gets to be pretty confident that, that they can go ahead and hang it up. Are we at that point now where we're, we're disappointed that we're only winning ACC regular season titles <laughs> against uh, we're only going back to back against Boston college. But. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess we have gotten to that point, which feels a little, uh, um, I, don't, I don't know. It feels a little gatorish or something to be, be that, to be that picky about things, but <laughs> and you then know, we're supposed to be I, better next year, right? We're supposed to <laughs> bring in all these recruits and stuff. <laughs> So. Yeah, so the 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 fourteen the combined fourteen game winning streak over Miami and Florida they they uh, they they can laugh at me for for saying that that uh, you know it's disappointing to do it over Boston College but you know good good luck in the future yeah all right well um, as always it's it's been a pleasure and ho- hopefully my hope is that when we come back to do the next podcast we are both talking about how wrong we were against uh against the Tar Heels. Absolutely. For Michael, I'm Matt.